Well, that truly is the cry of our hearts, isn't it? We come, we want to see him. We want to learn of him, draw near, lean into this grace that has pursued us and saved us and continues to reveal to us. So it's a joy to be with each one of you this morning and to open God's word once again, to be taught by his spirit, filled up with that ever-present grace and mercy. My name is Tana Henry, and I have been a part of the Habits Ministry for several years, and I'm so very thankful for God's hand of blessing on this work, the way he has um, led us along all these 22 years and been such a faithful God and Father to lead his flock, his children, through this ministry. So I'm delighted to be a part. Uh, married to Chris for 27 years, hard to believe. And we have two lo- uh, three lovely daughters, Shelby, who's a freshman in college, uh, Riley, who's 16, and Haley Grace, who is eight. And I have transitioned in my life from mostly being known as Tana to now mostly being known as Mama Henry by the gaggle of girls in and out of our home and in and out of our lives. And for that, I'm very thankful. This morning, though, my uh, heart is heavy with many of you because, as as you'll recognize, we have uh, someone missing from the box. Susie Everett is not with us this morning because yesterday her father was killed in a tragic car accident. And uh, yesterday was Susie's birthday. She was spending it with her mother when they received the phone call of her father's accident. So if you would, just join us in praying for Susie and her family. Um, You can't prepare for something like that. And it's a vivid reminder to us, isn't it, the fragile nature of this mortal life that we live, and things can change in a moment. But we do have hope. And he is at home with the Lord, so we're thankful for that. Uh, We have another among us, dear Becky, who lost her grandfather yesterday as well. And she is experiencing that joy and sorrow mingled down. That is a reality. So, um, heavy hearts, but we do come, don't we, to be filled up with the hope that the Lord alone can give us. So let's turn our attention to him and ask for his wisdom. Father God, we do praise you that you are sovereign over all the details of our lives and that you have come that we may know peace in this world. There will be tribulation, but we can be of good cheer because you, Lord Jesus, have overcome the world. And this morning we thank you especially for the power of the Holy Spirit whom you have sent to be our helper and our guide to live in us and remind us of your true promises. Lord, we thank you for that gift. And I pray we would learn more of this person and power of the Holy Spirit together this morning and we might be transformed in our minds and our lives as we seek to follow you and love you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Acts 2, Pentecost. Kind of a big deal. A revival like none other, right? The Spirit came down. Well, I just want you to stop for a moment and think, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you consider the Holy Spirit? Just think about that for a minute. 
the breadth and depth of the Holy Spirit is hard to comprehend, but we do have limited understanding about him. And this morning, we hope to enlarge that a little bit. But I remember when the Lord opened the eyes of my heart and my mind to this person and power of the Holy Spirit, and it transformed me. I had given my life to Christ in high school and loved Christ with all my heart, but continued to strive in my own strength, to do it, go my own way, uh, working, checking off the boxes, controlling things that I thought I had control over. And um, it was exhausting. And I remember uh, the moment, the time, when the Lord brought sound biblical teaching into my life to instruct me about this person and power of the Holy Spirit, and it changed me from the inside out, recognizing that this promise had been given and this power was real. At the same time, simultaneously, he brought uh, people into my life who were living examples of this powerful Holy Spirit. One of those was my precious mother-in-law, who is now at home with the Lord. And oh, I miss her. Um, that woman, and many of you know her, so that, that woman oozed with the fruit of the Spirit. She was gentle and kind, slow to speak, quick to listen, but always brought a word of encouragement, biblical truth. She was patient and oh so faithful. She was a woman of her word and a servant from the inside out. There was not a selfish bone in that woman's body. And I'm so thankful for her faithful example to me and to many others around her. And I just pray that I, that you, that we could have and bear a similar legacy. Um, when, the, when the Spirit is working in us and we are able to be a witness for Christ, there is no greater thing. So I pray that for all of us, for each of you. To many, the Holy Spirit is a mystery, kind of an elusive part of faith that seems like an idea more than a reality. And uh, I hope to dispel some of that today as we turn our minds toward him. And we see his power displayed here in Acts 2, but we see it as a thread through all of Scripture. So we're going to travel around a bit this morning. We're not going to just sit in this text, but travel around a bit this morning as the Lord instructs us about the person and power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to start with uh, John Piper gave a sermon in 1984, and I happened upon this, as the Lord would have it, while I was preparing um, for this lecture in the last several weeks. Happened upon this, and it really became like the melody to a song that was rolling around in my heart. So I'd like to share it with you. He said, if I am burdened for the vital experience of God missing in many of our people and for the present power of godless, godliness, it makes sense to preach not just on what God has done or what he will do or what we must do, but on what God is now doing and how he is now experienced through the Holy Spirit. The, sen the sentence is stunning and full of warning. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The life of my people hangs on a vital experience of the Spirit. There are miracles which God may be willing to perform if we sought his Spirit and were filled anew. And these miracles may win for him glory that is now denied him 
Come, Holy Spirit, preach yourself to this people. And all God's people said, Amen. So in Acts 1, you all know that because we memorized it, we recall the promise Christ extended, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? To Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So in light of this passage, we're going to spend our moments here this morning opening the door kind of looking through four lenses, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at his prom- the promise, the presence, the person, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we start with those words in Acts 1.8, we see that he promises them the Holy Spirit, but with the Holy Spirit comes what? Power. Power, Right? Most of Jesus' final discourse, I love this fact, that most of his final discourse to his disciples consists not of commandments and mandates that they were to obey, but it consists mostly of promises that he gave them. And I love it that we now have a Bible full of promises from this same Lord. So if you would, turn with me to John 14. John 14. book just in front of Acts, the one we're studying. John 14, we'll start at verse 15 and read to 26. All right. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. A great promise, isn't it? He promised that this Holy Spirit would come, be our teacher, bring to remembrance all that he had said, And then he goes on in 16.7, if you flip over a couple chapters to 16.7. He says, this is is a striking statement. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is the culmination of all that Jesus had to comfort his disciples. In the hour of turmoil, in their hour of fear, and the unknown, 
This is how he comforted them. He assured them that they would not be left alone to fend for themselves, but that he would send a helper. The Greek word helper, paraclete, literally means one who is called alongside. The King James Version translates it comforter, which is one of its many meanings. The Greek word another may also provide a helpful clue here in John 14 when he talks about another helper. There are two Greek words uh, for this another, heteros and allos. And generally, heteros means that of a different kind, and allos means the same kind. Well, that's what Jesus is using here, the same kind. It's as if he was saying, I am sending you one of exactly the same essence as me with the same deity and the same love. So he had been with them with, for these years. He'd taught them, instructed them, comforted them, walked alongside them. And now he was going to send one of himself, of the same essence, same deity, same love, to help them and to minister to them. They must have been greatly encouraged by this truth to know that he would send this helper to minister. And then he says, in 14:16 he will be with you forever. Not only would the Holy Spirit come to dwell with them, but he would never leave. And the same ladies is true for you and me. If we have confessed by faith in Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit, that helper, that comforter, that advocate has come to dwell in us. And he will never leave us. We do not go it alone or live in our own strength, but we have him as our advocate. And he is constantly at work for our good and for Christ's glory. So if we look at the promise, and that quickly translates into the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, right? But we're going to look at the presence of the Holy Spirit in a big picture view. So we witness him here at Pentecost in the amazing effects of his presence, how he came with power upon those who were gathered. Pentecost was a Jewish festival 50 days after the Passover. Jesus was crucified during the Passover celebration, and seven weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, the risen Lord Jesus fulfilled this promise we just read about. John the Baptist had promised, the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see that happening here in Pentecost. Nine o'clock on Pentecost morning, when the disciples were praying, we read in Acts 2, a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I've tried to imagine that scene. It must have been something. Then Peter preached the sermon and said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. On that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in power, and many, as we know, came to believe. But it's important, it's really important for us to remember that he didn't just show up here at Pentecost. He has eternally existed as a part of the Godhead before the foundations of the world. He was a part of all things from the very beginning to the very end of redemptive history. 
And he is moving and working throughout Scripture in powerful ways. So let's travel all the way back to Genesis 1.1. We'll find him there. Genesis 1.1 reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God, Elohim, God, which is a plural form. Therefore, as scripture was inspired and man began to write the word, it was evident to the writers that God was made up of more than one person. But at the same time, there was a Godhead, three in one. So he moved upon the face of the waters and was an active agent in creation. He was the moving spirit. Jesus was the word. And then we see in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And then down in 127, so God, again, that's Elohim, created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Trinity, three in one, were all present at creation and have continued in cooperative effort before the foundations of the world until the present day, even now, and will in the future. We also know that the word of God was inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1, starting in verse 20, references this truth. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And she loved that word picture of the Holy Spirit carrying these faithful men along as they penned the Word of God. And then we witness the active work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In fact, the work of the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 80 times in the Old Testament, where there would be instances of the special visitation or the special anointing of the Holy Spirit for individuals to uh, perform certain tasks or functions. And just a few examples of this for you. Um, The Spirit of the Lord indwelt Joseph. We remember uh, the Lord enabled Joseph to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh through the power of the Spirit. In the erection of the tabernacle in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit came upon Bezalel and gave him the creative efforts to participate in that. The Spirit also came upon Old Testament people such as Joshua, David, Saul. In Joshua, um, in Numbers 27, we read where the Lord says to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him. And David, we read about him in 1 Samuel. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And then Saul, in Samuel 10, we read about the Spirit in him. It says, When they came, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. These are A few of several examples. We can also think of the uh, book of Judges where we see the Spirit coming upon the various judges whom God raised up to deliver Israel. 
So the Holy Spirit came upon them for specific tasks. And the indwelling was a sign of God's favor. And then we come to our text here today in Acts 2, and we see this powerful outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost. And as a result of that, thousands came to believe the church was born. And the influence and the power of the Spirit of God could not be denied. It wasn't just a personal exchange anymore. He had come upon those who were there and seeking. Following Pentecost, the great promise of Jesus had become a reality for all who would call on his name. And the New Testament teaches us about this permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The promise extended to you and to me. So we have to look at some of these passages, uh, New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6. You could turn there if you'd like. We're going to cover a few of them. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19. This gives great support for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit today in believers. It reads, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. When we place our faith in Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He is given. The Apostle Paul calls this permanent indwelling the guarantee of our inheritance. You think about the guarantee and when you've had to sign something to guarantee or leave your credit card or, um, you know, and that, that is a promise that you will be faithful and true to what you've said. And here we have these sweet words in Ephesians 1 from the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 13. He said, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then in John 3, 6, we read about the Holy Spirit's uh, power to regenerate our spirit when we accept Jesus. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So to say the Holy Spirit is in you is not so much talking about a physical location, but rather to acknowledge that you have come into a personal and intimate relationship with the, the third member of this Godhead trinity. The preposition in is a relational term here. It's when, like Jesus says, the Father is in me and I in the Father. He's not speaking of physical location, but a presence of intimacy in relationship. Christ in me, the hope of glory. N.T. Wright is an author. He wrote a book, uh, Why Christianity Makes Sense. And he says, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are, individually and corporately, places where heaven and earth meet. Have you thought of yourself that way? A temple where heaven and earth meet. So we've looked at the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now let's spend a little time getting to know this person of the Holy Spirit, this promise whose presence is manifest in a believer and has a personal being. He is not 
a divine influence or a ghost or a concept. He is a divine person, possessing a will, an intellect, and emotions. He does have great influence on us. He compels us and convicts us and reminds and encourages and all those functions that we've read about. But he has the same attributes of deity as God the Father and Christ the Son. He is co-equal with God the Father and the Son. And he uh, has some unique functions, but they are working collectively together in our faith. Dr. Wilbur Smith, who's a seminary professor, once said, the man who denies the Trinity will lose his soul. The man who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. (laughs) In our finite understanding, we will never fully grasp the reality of the Trinity, but we do know that the Holy Spirit is a personal being. Some have tried to use metaphors like a person is a body, soul, and spirit, all one person, or water is a liquid, a solid, a vapor, I don't really care for those analogies because they seem so insufficient to really describe. But we want, don't we? We want to have a word picture that we can kind of latch on to and give us some definition, some visual to this beautiful trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we do know that he has always existed as an eternal being and that he is omnipresent, meaning that he is present where there are beings with whom he has dealings. In other words, he makes his dwelling in born-again believers. We read about in 1 Corinthians 3, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are, and that his spirit dwells within us. But the Holy Spirit also possesses qualities of a person that a force or a thing would not. He has an intellect. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 2, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He has knowledge. Also in 1 Corinthians 2, For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So he has knowledge, and then he makes that knowledge known to us through his power. And this Holy Spirit has emotions. You've probably all read that passage in Ephesians 4 that says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Oh Lord, let me not grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit loves. Romans 5, 5, it's the conclusion of, um, you know, the dialogue there about suffering, but he ends with, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's love is poured into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're experiencing it in a very real way through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 15, I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God. So not only are we loved by God the Father, but we are experiencing that love through the power of the Spirit. And it will make a great deal of difference in our lives, don't you think? If we believe that we are being indwelt and led and purified, not by impersonal forces from a distant God, but by a person living in us who is the essence of God's love.
was a life changer. In his position as the part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit also possesses the attributes of God. If you have your um, study guides, if you can turn to page 124 and 125, it's just good to put our eyes on these attributes once again. So shout a few of them out to us. What do you read there? Merciful. Faithful. Holy. Love. Infinite. Truthful. Creative. And on and on, right? The Holy Spirit possesses all those attributes. All the same capacities as God and Jesus. And they're all working simultaneously together. He's not just exercising justice, but he's exercising mercy and love and goodness and faithfulness all together, all the time. For our good, for Christ's glory. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled as that Spirit is given by faith in Jesus. And this divine presence has eternally existed. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I think I put a little quote on the bottom of your lecture notes, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We certainly would want to appropriate that power. So that power has many dimensions. We're going to turn our attention toward the power of the Holy Spirit now. And these, again, are just some of the things that he does in and through us and with us in his dealings. He teaches and reminds us. We recall in our first reading today of John 14, he teaches and reminds us all things. John 14 reads, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In Luke 12, we read, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Have you experienced that? Times when you just aren't sure how to respond in a given situation or how to speak that word of encouragement, and and the Lord just gives it to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you think, where'd that come from? Where did that come from? but then you know. It's a beautiful thing. Secondly, he bears truth about Jesus and God the Father. In John 15, we read, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, he will bear witness about me. So he bears witness, speaks truth about Jesus and about God the Father. He reveals and declares and guides When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He convicts. That prick of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. John 16 again reads, And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
He prays for us and on our behalf. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, Romans tells us, for we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. So when you don't know what to pray, he's praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf. And it goes to Christ the mediator at the right hand of God to the Father. Groaning's too deep for words. And I love this last part too. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? The will of God. He'll line things up with the will of God. And then he advises. While they were worshiping, this is in Acts, so we're back in our... But if you travel back to 13.2 in Acts, this is where Barnabas and Saul are being sent off. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So he's an advisor. He's a counselor. He's a comforter. He's an advocate. And then, not only does he possess this power, but he imparts it to men. He imparts it to believers. We become this agent of the Holy Spirit's power. Luke 24 reads, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power and high. Don't move till you have that power. And then our memory verse, of course, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So in these and so many other ways we experience his power, we know that the Holy Spirit inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures as he carried them along. But it isn't amazing to you that we can read and read and study and meditate. And each time we do, there's new life in this word, this living, active word. We can read the same passage of Scripture. And each time the Lord speaks to us, advises us, comforts, stimulates, encourages, and breathes new life. Because the Holy Spirit makes the word of God relevant and meaningful when we need it. It is a living book inspired by the living and active spirit who indwells you. And he is leading us into understanding. Well, I've come to understand. um, So we started, I told you that I accepted Christ and was walking with Christ but not living in the power of the spirit. So the, the spirit was dwelling within me but I had not been filled, I had not been submissive to and submitted to and yielding to the power of the Spirit. And I've come to know after these many years of now having that presence of the Spirit that His power is absolutely essential to my life. I cannot do it on my own. And we cannot expect God to answer our prayers unless we are walking in the Spirit and praying according to His will. And if we are given the opportunity to witness, 
We need that power to be effective for him. We cannot live a holy life apart. We cannot um, bear those wonderful fruit that we all aspire to, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, without the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us. One of the most things, you know, when you prepare to, to teach, you realize that your audience is really going to take away maybe three points, right? So this is one that I want you to remember. And you read it in the, the little Holy Spirit handout that's in your binder. Uh, it's the quote by J.I. Packer. And this is uh, the, the Holy Spirit's main objective. This is his battle cry. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over on Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message to us is never look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him, see him, and see his glory. Get to know him, hear his word, go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. The Holy Spirit lives to point to Jesus. And he is occupied with this, to exalt and glorify Christ. So as the battle rages on, the Holy Spirit is casting light on Christ. But the evil one is casting light on self. And the evil one is saying, look at you, look at you. What do you want? So the battle is the collision of this divine appointment of the Holy Spirit pointing to Christ and the evil one pointing to self. And we have to pick a side. And the battle is moment by moment, day by day, isn't it? It's not a once and done. I was at a conference this weekend, filled up by the word of God and the fellowship of the saints. And, you know, it was just wonderful. And I get home and I'm not home an hour. Not an hour, ladies, before words have come from my mouth that did not bring life, did not bring encouragement. And the battle was real. The Holy Spirit stepped in, convicted, as my husband you know, wrapped his arms around me and said, remember, there's a battle. Yeah. But it's a worthy fight. And it's very real. We also must remember that God will not force this power upon us. It's not a mandate that is forcibly applied to our lives, but it is, remember, a promise given that becomes a presence within that accesses the power to live. So we must pray, ladies, we must pray and we must desire and we must seek for this Holy Spirit to have dominance in our lives. Jesus said, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible for any of us to follow Christ in faith, to understand the Bible, to pray, to live a holy life, to do any of that apart from his power. Your life, the Christian life, is a great adventure. It's a life of great purpose and calling and power. And Christ has given the almost unbelievable promise. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father.
and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So we know intellectually we cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot accomplish these great works. But instead, we recognize the power is Christ in us, living within us in all of his resurrection power, the same power that raised him from the dead, making his home in our body as this temple, thinking with our minds, loving with our hearts, speaking with our lips. It's, ne- it's never going to be us. Our wisdom, our personality, our persuasiveness, our eloquence, none of that is going to do it. It's the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost, who sent his Spirit to empower. Tremendous responsibility, tremendous privilege. As the disciples were filled with this Holy Spirit, they received the divine supernatural power that changed them from fearful men to radical witnesses. We, we don't have to think further than Peter, right? Last year we studied about Peter, who denied Christ three times, right? We read about Peter in today's text in Acts 2, radical witness for Christ, bold in proclaiming the resurrected Lord and Savior. J.B. Phillips writes, the great difference between present-day Christianity and that of which we read about in these letters, the New Testament epistles, is that to us, it is primarily a performance. To them, it was a real experience. We are apt to reduce the Christian religion to a code, or at best, a rule of heart and life. To these men, it is quite, quite plainly the invasion of their lives by a new quality of life together an invasion of the Holy Spirit. They do not hesitate to describe this as Christ living in them. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Christ. And the Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. So the call is to abide. To abide, to seek, to soak deeply of this word. If I am controlled by Christ, because the word filling means to be controlled, we are filled with, with the Holy Spirit. We are being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Not as a robot type, but one who is led and empowered. Then the Lord Jesus will walk around in my body and live his resurrected life in me. And remember, he is not a power imposed, but a promise given. Roger Hershey, we all like visuals, don't we? I know that I learn from visuals. Roger Hershey, who is a speaker for Campus Crusade for Life, says that being indwelt by the Spirit at the moment of salvation is like squeezing chocolate syrup into a glass of milk. What happens to that? If you squeeze that chocolate in, it goes to the bottom, doesn't it? And it sits there until you stir it. And it, it, it will remain settled and you don't necessarily see a changed life. That's what happened to me when I first believed. The good stuff was just sitting there. But being filled is a constant walk with the Spirit, like stirring the syrup until the milk is transformed and it looks like the chocolate. So I've recently thought of it in these terms because we, 
more than anything, ladies, I do not want this to just be a theological doctrinal study this morning. I want it to be um, a time where we're coming together, leaning into the word of God, listening to the words of Christ so that we can be transformed and we can be empowered witnesses for Christ, like our title says. So I've been thinking about it in these terms, that Christ saved me from my sin once and for all. I was justified right before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrected power. And he has given me new life for all eternity. But the Holy Spirit saves me continually from myself and my sin. He is refining and molding me into the person God created me to be. He's so very active in the work of sanctification, sometimes painfully so. But how thankful I am for the indwelling, all-powerful Holy Spirit, who is our helper, comforter, advocate. And he will be faithful to do what he was sent to do. His resources and power are truly inexhaustible because there is no end to him, just as there is no end to God. So in closing, I'd like to give you a benediction, and then we're going to close with a song. And my hope and prayer is that this song will become your personal prayer for the filling of the Holy Spirit. So the benediction is from Romans 15, 13. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Spirit you may abound in hope. nothing worth more that could ever come close nothing can compare your living hope your presence Lord I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill
the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome come flood this place and fill the Oh 